It's time for Knox Talk, a behind-the-scenes look at the business side of college sports. Featuring Paul Sickman from Knox Sports and Brandon Parks from the Vol Network. Now for today's show. Welcome to another edition of Knox Talk. Today is Wednesday, the 26th of July, and as always, I am joined by my good friend Brandon Parks from University of Tennessee. Good morning, buddy. Hey, Paul. Good morning. Did you say July 26th? Yes, sir. (laughs) That's a little scary in our world as the countdown to kickoff is on. We said in our last episode that as soon as we came out of the fourth, it was going to be straight chaos and uh, as we sprint towards season, and that has proved true for me. The good news uh, in the world of Knox Sports, I know you all care deeply, is that out of our 100 or so contracts that we're managing, we only have a half dozen that are still in question. So we are, uh, we're okay heading into the home stretch. Well, I'll say in the world of the Vol Network, I wish that was what I was saying, a half dozen contracts. We're not quite there yet, but there's certainly a lot of enthusiasm building for the season. And this is always a fun time of year because you've got the media days for the conferences going on. You've got practice that's getting ready to start everybody's undefeated at this point. Uh, So hope springs eternal, I guess you could say. That's right. Well, we're racing to the finish to accomplish all of our sales goals, which apparently Brandon's not even close, but we wanted to bring someone in who has apparently unlocked the secret to closing deals and achieving goals. Our guest today is Emily Peterman. Emily is joining us from Purdue Sports Properties. Emily has been recognized numerous times for achieving goals. And most recently your parent company, Brandon, gave her the award as the National Closer of the Year. So welcome to Knox Talk, Emily. Thank you very much. So so I'm going to start off and and then Brandon will pipe in. Emily, big picture, what does it take to hit sales goals year over year? Big picture. Um, You know, I, first of all, just a pure drive. Um, That's something that I think you either have or you don't. Um, It's in you or it's not. I, I often get Um, tease a little bit of how competitive I am because it could be, um, you know, whether it's at work trying to hit my sales goal before everybody else, um, or if we're across the street at lunch um, and we've got to pop a shot over there, I'm going to take down everybody in my office. It doesn't matter what I'm competing at. um, I want to win. So I think that the number one thing is just having that drive inside of you and wanting to win. I've known Emily a little while, and I don't think that's true. She's never said anything bad about Indiana ever, and uh, and she's <laughs> never appeared driven ever. It's, this is a shock to me on the podcast to hear that she's, that she's competitive. Totally. Emily, let me let me jump in and ask a couple questions. <laughs> and, and We're both sellers and probably mm-hmm. experience a lot of the same challenges and so forth. Um, one, and I think you probably can confirm this, our goals aren't going backwards as a seller and and there's yeah. always going to be a need for the property and then the school to be able to drive more revenue and sponsorship from mm-hmm. a mindset standpoint how do you manage that understanding that there are going to be lofty expectations every year um uh, you know whatever expectations that are put on you know us from our general managers or you know um our vp setting sales goals mine are going to be higher. Um, So, you know, for example, they give me my sales goal and I'm, I basically upped it by $400,000 because (laughs) there's, you know, I've got goals. I use the, you know, getting to goal, hundred percent of goal. I use that as kind of the the floor. Um, And then I think about what I want my ceiling to be. What other things can I achieve 
um, other than just kind of status quo. So I think if you just accept that, you know, that the minimum is 100%, then you can only go up from there. Yeah, Paul, Paul, she brings up something that I think is important. And you've worked with a number of business development directors across the country at properties. And all of the ones that I interact with have Emily's mindset that getting to goal is a baseline, but they have something larger that's out there that they're striving for. And I think when you can reset where your eyes are looking, I think it's important. I also think it gives I think it gives you an edge. And then Paul, in your world, I think I think business development directors, when you look at the actual deal making process and then an execution process, it's beneficial to your clients to have someone that sees beyond the specific bullets within a contract. That that's almost the minimum that we're going to do, and we want to be able to over deliver, just like Emily's working to over deliver on her sales goal. But that, to me, is a common trait that I see at a lot of very successful sellers at properties across the country. No, I agree with you. I think that that is true. I think for us, what we want is we want a balance, you know, from our perspective, because we're buying, we want, absolutely, we want someone that's driven, because they're going to work hard to make sure that that, that your goals are met within the actual contract, where the balance comes in is you don't want someone that says, hey, this is rate card, I'm going to get rate card every time you want them to still be a listener. You know, and I think the good ones are going to be that way. They're going to be a listener. They're going to hear what the property wants and then knows what the client needs. Uh, and it's not about money now. It's about long-term make them happy because they're going to come back and come back and come back. Yeah. Okay. Think, Emily, go, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, Paul, I was just going to yeah, make a comment about that because listening, you know, you're talking about listening. Something I've noticed in the past few years is one of the biggest compliment I can get after doing a fact find with a client and then, you know, putting a proposal in front of them is when they say, oh my gosh, you really listened to me. And the amount of times that I hear that, it makes me think that the majority of people don't listen. <laughs> so that, that small, you know, it's the smallest thing, but just like you said, just listening to what your client actually wants. And then when you, you know, show them that in your presentation, that means everything to them. Yeah, you're exactly right. You guys talked about setting goals. I, I, I hearken back to a million years ago when I was in your shoes and I was having to go in there and, and work on that process, that negotiation, which was sitting down in that case, it was sitting down with an NFL owner was the toughest negotiation I had all year because I had to go in and I knew my whole life was going to be based on what that number was going to be. I would go in there with a hangdog expression, telling, reminding him what a terrible football team that we had trying to do everything I could to make that number as low as humanly possible. Meanwhile, he's looking at me and trying to go double digits and just hammering. That negotiation was the hardest negotiation I had all year was trying to establish the sales goal because I knew how important that was to me. And I knew that my life and my, my livelihood depended on it. But for you guys, tell us about what is the process for both Tennessee and Purdue. And I'll start with you, Brandon, then we'll go to Emily in terms of setting your sales goal? How does that happen and how does that work with your with your team? Uh, with our team, obviously that that's a project that, that starts very, very early on. Uh, and in some cases it starts before the current fiscal year that you're working within uh, is even complete. Um, but it, there's, a, there's a healthy dialogue that exists between the property uh, and then Learfield and the management that we have at the regional level. Um, and, and I will say, I, th I think it is a very healthy dialogue in the sense that they want to hear what the status is of the property. How healthy is the sports program at, this, at the university? Uh, what are the challenges we're facing in the market? 
what are the opportunities that are going to potentially be turned on so there is a lot of thoughtful discussion about if we have an aggressive sales goal um, what is the roadmap to potentially achieve that goal um, and you know there's been cases over the years where obscure percentages are sent down through the company because overall the organization needs to achieve this total revenue number so every property is going to get their small piece or their large piece of the the incremental revenue that needs to be generated um, i think we're we're at a place now where, where there's thoughtful discussion around that and and that doesn't just disseminate from the general manager's position. While the general manager has a lot of communication with Learfield, um, you know, at our property, we sit down with each individual seller, look at their book of business, talk about uh, what that book of business looks like, where, uh, where we may have attrition. Inevitably, you're always going to have attrition, no matter how great of a job that you do. Um, and so, you know, we use that baseline attrition number and then try to build our new business and growth number beyond that. Uh, some years you're going to have less attrition than others. Some years you're going to have more. And that does affect then what that exponential growth is going to look like. Um, but I, I will tell you, it's, there's a significant amount of time that's taken and, and it's thoughtful around that. And Lee, are you guys as thoughtful up there and they just hammer you with 12% and say go? <laughs> no, I think the process is, is similar. Um, I'm, you know, I'm not super involved in that process. Nobody asks my opinion. Um, they just hand me a goal and tell me to go get it. Uh, but I know that there are a lot of factors involved. Um, I know, you know, some, some properties are more profitable than, than others. Some may have to, um, you know, overperform because there's expectations that some are going to underperform. So I'm sure that there's a balance there as well. Um, but yeah, it is, I know that there's a lot that goes into it. Um, what, what is the path, you know, to getting there and how realistic it is. And, um, but I, again, I'm, nobody asked me my opinion. Well, that's oh. interesting though, but Brandon, just so nail it. So you are in a collaborative world, Brandon, in your world, you're able to talk through it. You're able to kind of figure out, Hey, here's who's going away. Here's who's coming. Let's figure out a number that works. Emily is handed a number with no collaboration at all and well, still hit I, it and still hit I, it. And so that's even more impressive in, in that well, regard because she's basically given a blank slate and said, Hey, you need to do this number and you need to go there. So um, I think that's interesting. Um, and so well, to be fair, I think I'm, I'm not giving our GM enough credit. We do usually sit down and look at our book of business and talk through like Brandon said, who we think is coming back, who we may upsell all of that kind of stuff. So we get the input in terms of trying to paint a picture of what we think our personal book of business will look like the next year. Um, but then we kind of hand it off and, and for the powers to be to finish the job. Paul, I, I'll add one, one note in here around this discussion. I, I'm still an active seller at the Tennessee property, but I'm also the associate GM. So I, I see both sides of the conversation of the property has objectives and goals that it needs to reach. Um, but then we also want our individual sellers uh, to have success as well. Um, and I think, and I'd love Emily's opinion on this, I think there is such a fine line between motivating and demoralizing. And I think we walk that fine line every year of providing a seller with a goal that they feel like one, they can achieve and it's motivating to try to work really hard and diligently to get there versus giving them a goal where they feel immediately mm -hmm. defeated. And, and, and I, I've been on both sides of that over, over the course of my career 
but certainly being being a seller, but then also to have, having senior management responsibilities, I, I can understand both sides of that conversation. Emily, have you in your career have you ever had a goal that you felt like was demoralizing? I have not. Good for you. Yeah. <laughs> it, it will. It will. It will come at some point. <laughs> well, let me talk about closing for just a second, guys. We got the closer of the year on the uh, uh, on the call. I, you know, in our world, you know, again, I'm on the opposite side of the fence from you guys. So a lot of times, but I still have to sell in, right? We have to sell in what we end up negotiating with the client. And we get to the spot where we have agreed to agree with, you know, Tennessee or Purdue, whoever. We have to go and we have to turn in this proposal uh, or even a contract to a client and looking for a verbal yes. If, in my opinion, if we don't get a verbal yes within a week of making that presentation, that final presentation, every day that goes by, the odds of this thing happening go down. Time is the enemy. And, and it, and it is, is you guys, what, what is the timeline in your head? I mean, I here, here, let me back up by saying we try to set clear expectations and saying, when can I follow up? When are we going to get together? That doesn't always happen. It's not always a perfect world. Hey, can we talk next Tuesday? Maybe. <laughs> so, but my point is in my head, it's kind of like that week feels like an answer. So Emily, I'll turn to you. What in you guys, when you look to close, how do you get to that finish line? Do you set a clear expectation? Don't leave without it. And what is the timeline Do you feel like you start to lose, you lose momentum? Um, I like to, I mean, Paul, you've known me long enough to know that I am very impatient. So <laughs> I, uh, I like to get an answer as quickly as possible. I like to leave. I don't like to leave a meeting without a clear expectation. I feel like I usually know what the, you know, whether it's a yes or no. Um, and then kind of talking about how we're going to get there. So if I think, you know, the deal is going to close, then yeah, let's talk about timeline. I mean, I usually am just very open and honest and ask them, what is your timeline? When are you going to make a decision? When can we expect this to move forward? Um, because that helps, I think, get that anxiety down a little bit if we're all on the same page. Agreed. But is there a timeline in your head where if you haven't heard from somebody, you feel like it's just pretty much what it's cake? I mean, what do you, is it a week, a two weeks, a month? It, it, I know it's not typical, but I, that's in my head. I always feel like, hey, if I set an expectation and they don't hit it, even if it's a soft expectation, uh, it floats away pretty quickly. Yeah, I think it's dependent on on the conversation you have too. You know, if they say that they're going to get you an answer by the end of the week and then you don't hear from them, then you, yeah, maybe you start to worry. Um, they're probably just busy, but you know, we're, <laughs> we want to hear an answer. Um, but if they say, hey, we're not, we don't get our budget for two more months. And so we can't make a decision. And then, you know, then I'm not as worried. But yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, I don't, I, it's, I think every single client is different. It is different. Brandon? Paul, I was, I was going to say, keep in mind, we, we were, we're working with local companies, regional companies, and national companies. And so some of that timeline around a decision is defined around who the ultimate decision maker is. Mm -hmm. if, if you go out and meet with a local business owner who controls his or her budgets, um, then, you know, typically within a, a two-week period, I feel like the majority of our business that's going to close is going to close. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you work with larger companies and it becomes a larger discussion internally for them, um, then it can take a little bit longer. I would say if, if you come out of a meeting and a presentation and there's enthusiasm around it and you feel optimistic about it, um, typically a month 
when I think about regional or national companies um, is, is a time frame of hopefully you're going to get a decision. And I do think there are certain touch points uh, that, that you can make as a seller during that month period to make sure that there's still some engagement there and hopefully you're, you're still being considered top of mind for them. Uh, but, but a lot of that depends on just the level of conversation that has to take place, which, which we're not privy to or a part of. Right. So, so Emily, back to you. So in a close, tell us about that situation. You've made the presentation. Uh, you've done the best you can. The negotiation piece is kind of over. Uh, you know, there's always that last, that last week when they ask for two extra tickets or they look for a field pass or some other garbage that kind of beats the cherry on the top. But when you get to the finish line here, tell us what you have done well or you feel like is a hint from your perspective on actual getting to the close. Um, I guess define close. So like for us, are you talking signed contract? Yeah, I guess going, going from the end of the presentation <laughs> process to getting to the signature. Um, I, let's see, I usually, um, if, I think it's again, the decision maker thing is a big piece too. Um, if I have the signer, um, you know, I like to immediately get a contract to them because the, like you said, time is the enemy. So once I know that they're ready, um, I will send a contract for signature and then, you know, usually educate them on why we need a signed contract. There's lots of reasons for that. For us, putting together specs and deadlines, submitting radio spots, all that kind of stuff you can use as motivators to get them to sign. Um, and if it is taking a long time, I usually ask, hey, what, what can I do to get you to sign this contract? Um, and actually, most recently, I showed up at a partner event with a contract and a pen and handed it to my partner. <laughs> and on the way out, we had a private practice viewing <laughs> and I had a verbal renewal and it was an upsell. So he doubled his investment, but I could not get in contact with him to get the contract signed. He was, he was all, he wasn't responding to my emails, my texts. Um, I mean, I went, I was calling, um, he's also a belongs to our donor club. So I'm like calling his donor rep. I'm like, have you heard from him? And I knew he was coming to our private practice viewing. So at this, at this football event, and I just looked at him and I say, Hey, I have a contract for you. And on the way out, I put it on the table had him sign it, handed him his little mini helmet and got the renewal done. So just got to right. do what you got to do. Hey, Brandon, with uh, five years of working with Emily, I've never gotten a mini helmet. So I'm just saying, I guess you have to <laughs> wait to the very end of the deal to uh, to really string her along before you get the goods. No, she said it. The partner <laughs> doubled their spend. So if yeah. you double your spend, she'll get you a mini helmet. Yeah, yeah. And all the all the years of working with Paul, I've never gotten a doubled investment either. So, <laughs> Paul, I, you're I'll welcome. This. Um, couple couple of notes. One, we had a regional vice president that worked here for a long time named Tracy White, and his his number one uh, phrase in selling was "time kills deals." And he is exactly right. And it's something that's stuck in my head for years. And I think time kills signed contracts too. Because mm -hmm. um, there, there have been instances where you get the verbal and you're moving to the contract phase and then something happens during the contract phase and you lose an agreement. And that's mm -hmm. never a good place to be in. Mm -hmm. I will say um, one of the things that we have that both Emily and I have are assets that are in demand. And as we approach a football season or a basketball season, baseball, whatever it may be, there are areas where we have a limited inventory. Mm -hmm. And one of the motivations around a signed contract is for a client to be able to secure and reserve their inventory. And 
Um, you could say that's a sales tactics. I'll tell you it's a reality because we only have so many minutes of in-venue signage that we can sell, so many radio spots that we can sell, et cetera. And, and if, 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 you're, if, if you're having a successful year and your, your school and the sports program's on the uptick like Tennessee is, we're, we're having those discussions in our office daily right now about limited inventory, beachfront type real estate, and the way that a partner secures that is by a signed contract and nothing else. Um, that's, we that's, do not we do not secure it with a verbal agreement. It takes the signed contract. Yeah, I get that. Okay. Um, and and I, you guys, are, you, you're two schools that are uh, um, a little bit different. Um, you're not too far apart, but you're a little bit different in terms of uh, which uh, which sport uh, is maybe considered carrying the freight uh, from the fan perspective. So I'll ask both of you the same question. I'm anticipating a different answer. So revenue wise. When football kicks off at Purdue, Emily, um, where do you expect to be uh, in terms of percentage of total revenue that you've got under contract right now? And where do you typically land? Um, me me personally as a seller? Yeah, in terms of just you, you personally as a seller for Purdue, knowing that basketball is such a big deal there and you have a lot of clients that maybe that's their, that's I know you sell year round and a lot of people buy everything, but in terms of your total your total um, goal and revenue approach, um, what percentage do you still have to bring in when, when football starts? So um, I'm somebody who, who likes to uh, hit goal very early um, so that then I can just, basically put my foot on the gas, um, all the way through the rest of the year. And, um, you know, for us basketball, even though it's very, you know, it's obviously a huge program at Purdue, we have the majority of our, uh, sales done before kickoff. Um, so then it's kind of anything after that, you're just adding on top. So I'm already at my goal. I, you know, I hit goal in May. Um, but I still have a good amount of, of, um, contracts to put in a handful of six figure deals. I'll probably end up maybe, I think I look at my number of 115, 120%, um, which is usually where I land. Um, I'm usually around like the 120, 125 or, you know, range. Um, and to me, it's just, it gives you that, like I said, once you secure that I'm at hundred percent of goal, then you can just kind of go out and get at anything you can. But in terms of, so then backing up a little bit from Purdue's perspective, how much revenue is not completely locked in percentage-wise for the year when football begins? Is it 10%, 20%? I'd say probably 20%. 20% of revenue is not yeah. locked in yet because you still got basketball coming. Brandon, what's your situation? Uh, in, pre in previous years, I'm going to say historically, when we get to football season and Labor Day, if we didn't have 95% of the revenue on the books, we were going to struggle to meet that goal uh, yeah. because the majority, the majority of our accounts that are across multiple sports, everything starts with football. So mm -hmm. you, you really need, we say it in the office, if the hay's not in the barn by Labor Day, we're in trouble. Um, yeah. But yeah, now, your situation has changed over the last five years. I mean, you've had yeah. basketball and, and baseball that have both become revenue sports. I got to know they were, but baseball especially wasn't didn't exist as a revenue sport before. No, you're exactly right. And I will tell you, I think it's shifted somewhat. So today I would tell you if we can get to kickoff and we're 90 percent to goal, then we can make up that other 10 percent. So it has shifted. It is not so reliant upon uh, upon football and, and Tennessee success really across baseball and then basketball 
and the ability for us to tell to sell TV viewable signage gives us a real chance to to not only hit the goal but then have a chance to go you know significantly above it and beyond it. Um, well, here's something that's different. I mean, it, Emily, with basketball being a huge deal at Purdue, it's not an entry level partner world, right? So Brandon can think about baseball being a great person, a great place for a ten to thirty thousand dollar client to start. Right? We're going to start with baseball. Where do you start? You know, season's kicked off. You're still selling, obviously. So it's it's September, October, November. You've got bat football as a backdrop. Where do you start um, when you want to do the new client and you want to have that ten to forty thousand hour client? You want to do an intro level. Where do you put them in Purdue's world or in your world? Do you put them in football? Do you try to sneak them in basketball, get them in going, or where do you put them? So I think if we back up a little bit, um, and maybe this was a better answer to the last question. Is uh, at least I don't, I know that our property does not sell sports. We don't sell a football package, a basketball package, a baseball package. Um, we sell a complete partnership by objective. So to me, you know, just like, you know, our partnership that we have through you, um, the objective is kind of in the middle and then you can pull, you know, you can pull assets from, you know, every sport, it could be non-sport related. It could be IP related. It could be social media, um, you know, activations through partnering with student athletes. Um, we don't really, I, you know, I, that's just not my approach to sales is what sport can I put you in? Um, obviously we have the Olympic sports or non-revenue generating sports um, that are obviously going to have lower rate than football and basketball. Um, but usually I try to, I don't want to give somebody a, a package that I don't think is going to achieve their goals, um, but it's cheap because I don't think that they would be happy at the end of the day. That, is, that didn't answer your question. No, it's fine. Brandon? <laughs> um, I think there are entry level price points with each of our sports, like you were just talking about. You know, we, we've really used baseball uh, for someone that has a smaller budget, but they're wanting to get involved with us. Um, so the price points or, or let's say the price to entry is different for each sport. Um, but like Emily, we probably take a more holistic approach mm -hmm. around what are the true objectives of the client. And there are a lot of clients who uh, different times of the year are more areas of focus. And, and we see that both with small companies and large companies. And so you, you try to find a place uh, that if, if we're not meeting the client's objectives, it doesn't matter which sport we're in. So yeah. we have to realize that. And, and so ultimately you do the very best job that you can uh, with the budget that you have to work with. And hopefully we have enough tools in the toolbox that if someone has a lower budget, but wants to be involved with football, I'm going to have some solutions to at mm -hmm. least offer to them. Um, and, and, and I will tell you, and I think it sounds like Emily takes this same approach we're, we're trying to be much more thoughtful around our partner conversations in the sense that we want to be a cornerstone or a significant part of what they're doing in the marketing space and, and, and want to really be a, someone that delivers the ROI that they're after. Um, and, and I think that's some of the mindset of, of taking more of an agency type look to a partner versus just trying to sell them spots and dots. Yeah. And, and I think that has proven for us 
conceptual selling to be we were far more successful than just trying to sell a print ad because I got one page left in my souvenir program. <laughs> All right. Well, I love you both and you're both closers, but I'm going to close this one. So guys, thank you. A huge thank you to Emily Peterman from Purdue. Uh, and I'm sure Brandon appreciates that she did not give any information or talk about the 2021 Music City Bowl at all, um, which was wonderful. I was but, hoping to. But, yeah, <laughs> that didn't come up today, but thank you for that. But uh, folks, if you downloaded it, appreciate it. All our listeners, we appreciate all of y'all. Give us a great rating if you have an opportunity. And we will see you again in two weeks for another edition of Knox Talk. So on behalf of Brandon Parks, I'm Paul Sickman with Knox Sports. Thank you and see you next time.